This is Sports Jam. I'm Doug Doyle. Make every day your masterpiece. The words of legendary UCLA basketball coach John Wooden. Also happens to be the mantra of my guest today, former Knicks athletic trainer Mike Saunders, who had that role for 27 years from 1978 to 2005. Mike was named Trainer of the Year in 1994 and in 2005, and he was the NBA All-Star Trainer in 1986 and 1998. He's a legend, but now he's also an author, and his book is titled Life Sentence, a collection of quotes and stories to inspire, motivate, and empower. Mike Saunders, welcome to Sports Jam. Oh, thank you, Doug. Pleasure to be with you. And you now live in Delray Beach, Florida, correct? Uh, yes, that's right. I've been here almost eight years now. You spent most of your time growing up in Queens and, of course, becoming the Knicks trainer. And now you're out with this book. And I want to know, John Wooden's quote is one of 680 quotes that you have in Life Sentence, and it's about one sentence that can change your life. Is this book your masterpiece? Uh, you know, it's it's the masterpiece of all the people who contributed to the book. Uh, I have a few personal uh, recollections in the book, a few personal stories, but it's mostly the quotes of great people who've inspired generations and millennia, to be honest with you. I go way back to Confucius, Mahatma Gandhi, Martin Luther King, uh, Coach K, Mike Krzyzewski. So many people are, are have contributed to the book. So I really can't claim too much of it as being uh, original of mine. But how you collected these, I mean, a lot of it was from reading because you're an avid reader, but were from hearing these quotes and writing them on the back of, of a card, right, of somebody's card. And so you have saved many of these quotes, and you also have stories mixed in in Life Sentence. And I happen to love the story about Larry Bird and the, the three-point shot. Can you share that with our audience? Certainly. Yeah. That's an oft-told story. Uh, and the, the minor facts keep changing, but uh, I think I have the, the uh, definitive story behind it. Uh, I was the athletic trainer for the 1986 All-Star Game in Dallas, and that was when the three-point shooting contest was initiated. That was the first one where Larry legendarily came into the room and looked around and said, who's finishing second? because he was that confident that he would finish first. And sure enough, he was leading the contest, and he banked in a three-point shot, which is very difficult to do, banking a shot from that distance. So about two weeks later, the Knicks are playing Boston up in the Boston Garden, and during warm-ups, I said to Larry, and we had a relationship and a dialogue well before that, and I said, hey, hey big shot, let's see you bank in a three today. And he said, let's bet $5. So we shook on it and the bet was on and the game's proceeding and Boston's ahead. And Larry's not playing at that point because Boston has a big lead. And somebody on the bench said, Larry, how about that bet you had with Mike? He said, Oh yeah. So he tells the coach, put me back in. He's back in the game and he's dribbling right by our bench. I remember he looked down at me, uh, stepped behind the three point line Banked in a three, 
He runs back down on defense, raising his hand and his five fingers, saying $5. And the entire Boston bench is doing the same at me, $5. So uh, I did pay him the five, I promise. I, I did pay him the five after the game. And for probably two years, every time he saw me, Larry said, hey, Mike, did you give me the $5? Then fast forward about 15 years, we're in Springfield for, uh, for the Hall of Fame induction. And Larry's holding court in a giant ballroom. And I come in and Larry sees me. And the first things out of his mouth was, hey, Mike, did you give me the $5? So, uh, so that's, uh, that's, that's for $5 more. I think that's what is entitled. One of the reasons I love that story, Mike, is because it shows, first of all, the respect and rapport that you had with not only the greats of the game, but everybody that you had dealt with along the way because of your fabulous career as a Knicks athletics trainer. And uh, you're also a physical therapist. And you've been in this field for, for many years and have helped so many people. So now it's an opportunity for you to share your knowledge through quotes and stories that really kind of sum up to me, sum up what's important to you. So we get to know Mike Saunders a lot more from reading Life Sentence. And uh, when you think about all the coaches, you know, I, I did a little research and found out that you have been, you were the Knicks trainer for about half of the Knicks coaches ever. There have been several Knicks coaches, but you're almost half of them worked while you were there. And I know that Pat Riley was extremely successful. You have many quotes from him uh, in the book. And uh, your relationship with Pat Riley, he, you know, he was a wizard. You know, of course, he had his career with, with the Lakers and whatnot as a player. But when he came to New York, he became a rock star. How was it being the athletic trainer under Pat Riley? Yeah, it, it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. Pat is one of my favorite coaches and one of my favorite people. Uh, Pat is, has uh, so many great characteristics, but two of them that stand out are loyalty and competitiveness. Pat, I, and I've been around a lot of competitive people, you know, in, in my lifetime, especially, you know, in the NBA. But Pat, I think, is the most competitive person I know, but also probably the most loyal as well. Uh, Pat's always looking out for the people who work with him, um, and he uh, is really a, a wonderful leader. And there's no question in my mind that he is—he runs the best team in the NBA and many, and, and perhaps in all of sports. Since you were there with so many of uh, the Knicks coaches, is there anything you want to say about the styles? I mean, from Jeff Van Gundy to you know, all the way to, to Red Holtzman, you know, towards the end of his uh, end of his career, you were there for some of the, you know, Don Nelson you were there for. So there were so many great coaches. Is there anything you want to say about the differences of working with a whole host of coaches? Well, you know, I, I think in the book, I have a quote by Charles Darwin, that it's not the strongest or smartest who survive it's the ones that can handle change the best that survive. And I guess that's, that's kind of uh, how my career 
you know, uh, extended for 27 years, had 13 coaches in that time. Um, so I had to change with each coach. Each show, coach uh, demanded different things of, of the athletic trainer and his staff, but I was a- able to, uh, to mold myself into what that, that coach wanted. And then none, none of them wanted anything that was outrageous or, you know, immoral or, you know, but, the, but they were all great coaches, 13 coaches, seven, seven of them are in the Hall of Fame. So uh, I, I certainly had a great opportunity to learn from the best. New York led by 21 points here tonight. Los Angeles fought back to trail by only two in the final quarter. Monroe, nice shot by Earl LaPearl. Toward the end of his fabulous career, Earl the Pearl Monroe, and in honor of you, I have his jersey behind me today on this edition of Sports Jam. Earl was a guest on Sports Jam in past years, and I know that he's special to you, so you had a chance to even be a part, have a a feel of what it's like to be around the great Earl Monroe, and you still have a relationship to this day. If you want to mention great people, Earl is certainly one of the greatest people that ever walked the earth. He's so special. Uh, He had such a great career, yet he's so humble. Uh, That's one of the things I love about him. And uh, I've worked with certain different projects with him. Uh, One was an educational program up in the inner city. Uh, many years ago, I, I worked with him on that, and he's just such a, such a wonderful person, such a wonderful, uplifting person. Um, I've had the opportunity to go out to dinner with him up in Harlem, where he lives, and walk the streets with him, and it's like the king is is walking, and everybody is so reverential towards him, and he deserves it because he really is one of the great persons persons uh in the world and in my life fortunately as you mentioned uh in your book it's not about uh, all sports figures that you know you you have political leaders you have authors you have people of interest but one of the quotes that's dear to you i know is jackie robinson's quote a life is not important except for the impact it has on others lives you're a baseball fan as well though Oh, uh, baseball was my first passion, my first love, and continues to be a a love of mine still. Uh, I think my fascination with baseball is how it's part of American society, how it's woven into our culture. Um, Sometimes it is a reflection of our culture. Sometimes it changes our culture, as with Jackie Robinson. Uh, Baseball through Jackie was integrated in 1947 and that helped propel the civil rights movement and changed our society. So uh, sometimes sports reflects what's going on. Sometimes it can change it for the better. And certainly in, in Jackie Robinson's case, that's what happened. You speak of leadership. Well, the captain of the Yankees for many years and the champion that he was, Derek Jeter's also quoted in this book. There may be people that have more talent than you, but there's no excuse for anyone to work harder than you. You worked hard, Mike, because you were with the Knicks for 27 years. And as you mentioned, you adjusted to all different coaches and changes. How does one become an all-star trainer and trainer of the year? 
Give us some insight on what that takes. Well, it, it, it takes longevity for one thing. Um, you know, I, I was there for 27 years and over the course of those 27 years, you have very various experiences and uh, your, uh, I, I guess, leadership comes through. And that's, I think, why I was voted trainer of the year. That, that vote is by my peers, by the other trainers. Um, so, um, you know, that those are special uh, recognitions for me because it came from my peers. And I always felt that when a new trainer came into the league, I would offer him all of my uh, advice and took some under my wing and helped them get adjusted because there's a lot going on. You know, uh, you can't read the uh, a job description in a book and know what being an athletic trainer for an NBA team is all about. So I would try to, you know, help them navigate the, you know, the dangerous waters of the NBA. So I think that's one reason why I was voted the uh, NBA trainer of the year twice because of my, uh, my contribution to the group. Now the, the uh, all-star trainers, that's on a rotation basis. Uh, the 1998 uh, honor was because we hosted the Madison Square Garden was the uh, host of the All-Star Game. So I get that automatically. And the 1986 All-Star Game that I alluded to before with the Larry Bird story, it, it goes on a rotation base basis. Now, the coaches are chosen differently. Uh, the coaches at a certain point that midseason, whoever's in first place, that coaching staff gets the honor of being the coach for the East team or the West team, but the trainer for, for those coaches do not travel with them. They assume the, the trainer that's on a rotation basis. You mentioned uh, the venue that you were at for all the home games, Madison Square Garden, the home of the, the Knicks and the Rangers. Why was MSG special to you, Mike? Well, growing up in New York, you know, I, I, as you said, I, I grew up in Queens um, and big sports fan, and certainly Madison Square Garden, not just for a, a New Yorker, but for anybody who's a sports fan, it's really the mecca of sports, and especially basketball. It's uh, it's like a, a, a the church of basketball, because ba basketball in New York is a religion. It's not just a, a sport. So, uh, you know, going, it's like going to St. Patrick's Cathedral, I guess, on a daily basis to do your work. Um, and, uh, just, you know, having my name announced by say John Condon at the beginning, you know, <clears throat> it was very, very special to me. And, and not everybody gets to have the trainer announced, uh, at, at the games at the NBA games, but, uh, you were so special and so beloved that, uh, they made sure that, uh, they got you in there. Also, I hope that, yeah, I hope that's the reason Doug, but thank you. I appreciate that. Absolutely. Uh, behind me is a poster from uh, the Broadway play uh, Lombardi that starred Dan Laurier as the great Vince Lombardi, the Green Bay Packers coach. And you have some quotes from Vince Lombardi uh, in this. You have said that you want people when they read this to pick out a couple of quotes and, and, and make it your mantra. This is really a possibility of a great self-help book, isn't it? Uh, yes, it is. Uh, abs absolutely is. Um, I'm not going to say I'm addicted to self-help books, but at any time I go to a library or to a bookstore, I always seek out that section. 
uh, of self-help. I'm always looking to improve. Certainly, I, I do really believe there's a lot of improvement to be made in my life. Um, and I want to pass some of that on to others. Um, I don't think anybody ever stops being a lifetime learner or looking to improve themselves, especially the best. It's funny. It's ironic. It's the best who always look to improve. It's the mediocre people who are very content with, you know, with who they are. Uh, I think I have in the book also a quote by Doug Collins, the great basketball coach and great basketball player. He says, the one good thing about being mediocre is you're always at your best. So I, I think, uh, I think that's a great quote. I use that very often. Um, and, uh, I'm not satisfied being mediocre. I'm not satisfying being good. I want to be great. And I keep working at it. Uh, and part of that mission is if I help others make the most out of their lives, then that certainly makes me feel much better and achieve my goals. We're speaking with Mike Saunders here on sports jam. Any particular reason that you go with 680 quotes? Uh, no. No, I just thought that was a good number. Around, I like round numbers, even numbers. Uh, so I have that, but I have a list on my computer of uh, under the title more quotes, and I have about two hundred more that may be in uh, life sentence number two. We'll see what happens. But I, I, I do. I, it, it resonates with me. A lot of these quotes, so many, resonate with me, and I just felt it necessary to share it. It's uh, it, it it was it was no good just sitting in a business card file, uh, and I, and again every any time I would contribute to it, I'd open up, read some of the quotes, and say, "Wow, this stuff is powerful," and then finally I decided to share it with everybody. John Starks from the baseline, Ewing. Was calling from the sideline. Let's go because the players weren't sure whether we could should go ahead or call timeout. Oh my! One of the special things about being an athletic trainer, you really get to see the action up close during the great next runs with Patrick Ewing and John Starks and Charles Oakley. Those were some of the best Knicks teams ever, but they didn't get to the summit because of not because they weren't a great team. There was always somebody in the road, like Michael Jordan's Bulls, or it could be the Houston Rockets and Akeem Olajuwon or something like that. Do you look back at those years and say, boy, if they could have just been a, a couple years before or after uh, the reign of the Bulls, the Knicks could have more championships than the Frazier-Monroe era? I, I don't look back with any personal reg regrets about that. No, what it was, that's how it was. And, you know, I feel badly for Patrick Ewing, who worked so hard every day in practice and in games, and he didn't get a ring. And unfortunately, I think today uh, players are judged by the number of rings they have, as opposed to the efforts and, and you know, and, and performance that they had on a daily basis. Um, but no, I, I don't look back with any regrets whatsoever. It was a great run of 27 years, some lean years and some great years. And as you said, you know, we lost to Michael Jordan and, and, uh, uh, 
Hakeem Olajuwon with Houston, and then we lost to the San Antonio Spurs. We provided them with their first of many uh, titles. Uh, but no, I, I, I look back with only f- very fond memories and, and, and no regrets. Without you guys, there is no New York Knicks. There's no Patrick Ewing. I'd also like to thank the staff, Mike Saunders, Tim Walsh, Greg Brittenham, Dr. Norma Scott, all the doctors who helped to put me back together. People don't recognize, realize that the, the toll that it takes on the body to play in the NBA. And if you, you see a lot of interviews that I did after the games, I, would, I was always encased in ice. Speaking of Patrick Ewing, who had such a great run and now is the head coach at Georgetown University's basketball team where he, he had a great run as, as a collegiate player, he mentioned you in his Hall of Fame speech. Now, I've heard a lot of Hall of Fame speeches, and I have heard a few trainers mentioned, but not many, Mike. So that had to be quite special for you to know that they only have so many minutes to talk, right? And they're only going to bring up people who were very instrumental in their life. You were one of them for Patrick. Can you talk about what you did for him physically, mentally, and the relationship? Well, we we had a very special relationship. I was with Patrick for his entire Knicks career. Unfortunately, and and I think he regrets it as well, uh, was traded to Seattle and and played with Orlando as well. Um, But, you know, again, looking back, I I wouldn't change anything. But we spent a lot of time together, uh, not just doing physical therapy and athletic training, but talking it man to man and father to father. Patrick's a, uh, a, a wonderful father. And we talked a lot about that, about education and what to stress in the home and all. So uh, that's what a lot of the conversations revolved around. Um, I guess he needs, he, he would come early. I, I'm an early guy. I, I'm an early riser. Uh, I was always the first one at practice until Jeff Van Gundy got there. And Jeff always beat me. And sometimes I would drive into the parking lot and not see Jeff's car there. And I'd get all excited. But that on those mornings, Jeff's wife dropped them off. So he still beat me to practice. Um, but, you know, we, Patrick would get there early and we, we do treatments, but talk a lot. So, um, you know, it was beneficial for both of us. I, I have a good ear. I listen well. Um, and if I think I have something to offer, I'll give some advice also. Um, but, but Patrick and I had a very special relationship, which continues. I know uh, he calls me on my birthday every year. He never forgets. And, uh, and we always have a good chuckle and a good laugh about something. That's special. All these players and coaches that you have you know, worked with and you've gained knowledge yourself from them and you've written down quotes on the back of business cards and now sharing them with us in Life Sentence, uh, your new book. As an athletic trainer and physical therapist, correct me if I'm wrong, Mike, but it seems like we hear so much more about injuries now than we used to. The players used to seem to, I mean, for player safety, I understand, right, when it comes to concussion protocols and things like that. But it seems like 
the players of old, and maybe it's just because you and I are older than the, the, the stars of today, the trainer maybe even has more responsibility now than ever before because players want to sit out or they just don't feel right and are kept out of the game. What's your thoughts on that? Well, uh, I have a lot of thoughts about that as things have changed over the years, especially since I've been out of the out of the game. Uh, one thing, in many respects, the responsibilities of the trainer have diminished. And I'll tell you why. I was the tra- traveling secretary as well for the Knicks. So I not only had a full-time job as being athletic trainer, and a physical therapist, but being the uh, traveling secretary and planning all the trips and taking care of all that was also a full-time job. I don't think any trainer in the NBA has that responsibility anymore. Certainly the medical staff, when I was there for the first many years, was just me. And then I had an assistant, Tim Walsh, who went on to have a great career with the Orlando Magic and New Jersey and Brooklyn Nets. And then I had Saeed Hamden, who was an assistant of mine. And then the present trainer, Anthony Goanaga, was also a student and assistant of mine. So, um, you know, I, but I only had one assistant at a time. Now they have, you know, staffs of, of maybe 10 people working in the sports medicine department. Uh, I'd also like to acknowledge Dr. Norman Scott, who I was with for all 27 years with my team. He was our team physician from day one until uh, we both left after 27 years. And that was quite a run. And he was, he remains to be very close, uh, remains very close to me. And I learned so much from him. Um, But, but, but I think, I think because you have so many people in the athletic training department and sports medicine department, taking care of these players. Players feel that if they're not like at 95% of how they feel, they, they can't play. That's number one. Number two, we have load management now. And there may be a lot to be said about that. Rest and recovery is very important. But I know we had a lot more back-to-back games, which is very it takes its toll on players. They have many less now. Travel is much easier now. Uh, everybody has, you know, charters. For my first 15 years, we flew commercial. Big guys had to sit and coach. Coach, you know, seats very close. You know, their knees almost up to their chins. So, um, you know, that, that has changed quite a bit. Um, and I, when I do speak to athletic trainers who, who are, you know, present with teams, uh, they say, yeah, a lot of things have changed and those changes are not for the better. Mm. Uh, but I still give a lot of credit to, to a players still have tremendous respect for them, their uh, athletic ability, their skill set, and, and most of them are just wonderful, wonderful people. What did the next give you for 27 years of service? As far as the, when, when you were walking out the door, what were the parting gifts? Oh, um, you know, I wasn't looking for any parting gifts. I, I think <laughs> I got, I got gifts every day I worked with them. You know, I did. I, uh, you know, it's it just, it's a job well done. That's the best thing I, 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 I could have imagined. Um, I remember one time, uh, one of our executives was in a grumpy mood and I, I said, Frank, what's the matter? And he 
grumbled, it's Monday. And I realized I never worked a Monday. Now understand, from Labor Day to Memorial Day, I never had a day off, including Christmas. I never had a day off, yet I never worked a Monday. I loved every day. Now, every day was not an easy day. So there was a lot of stress at times, but I never had a Monday. I, I loved going to work. And when your office is Madison Square Garden, you can't ask for more. One of Mike Saunders' greatest accomplishments when you hear him talk, never had a day off, 27 years, had to be there, had to be much more than an athletic trainer, right? Is the fact that you're still married and you have two grown-up children, so your wife has had to be super supportive. What do you want to say about her? Oh, um, Sue, my wife, my companion, my 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 right-hand guy, person, uh, you know, she was a tremendous help. I couldn't do it without her, to be honest with you. We've been married 40 years. We celebrated our 40th wedding anniversary in August. Uh, ironically, for the past seven years, I've worked at the U.S. Open Tennis Championship uh, at Flushing. So we've been away for the past seven years on our anniversary. Um, but we, we we try to celebrate every day together. We're great partners. And uh, I think we've accomplished a lot as, as a couple. We have two wonderful children and two wonderful grandchildren. And uh, if that's my legacy, I'm very proud of it. Congratulations on the 40th anniversary there that you mentioned. That's a, a, a terrific run. And you think about the commitment that both of you have and, and with a job like, was she, is she a sports fan? I would have to think she has to be, right? Yeah, she is. She's a very big sports fan, was a big Knicks fan before, before we got together. Uh, yeah, she's a big sports fan. And one, one thing I really enjoy now is just sitting back and watching whether the Heat, Miami Heat games, especially because my son works for the Miami Heat. He's in the front office that has been there for nine years. Uh, but we watch Heat games. We watch baseball games together. Um, so, you know, I enjoy sharing that with her. But she she's a lot, a lot louder and yells at the TV a lot more than I do when she's watching these games. Earl Monroe was uh, good friends with Miles Davis. He was a, a jazz fan. You like jazz as well. I, I, I'm a big music fan. That's really my passion. Uh, I walk every day with, with Frank and Tony and Nat and Ella and Billy. Those are all my companions when, when I'm out walking. And, and I, I love all music. I love what's called the American Songbook, basically from 1920 to 1960. Um, and all forms of that music I like. And I do like jazz as well. So let's play a little game here. I like to ask these type of questions and sports jam. I want you to select three sports figures and you're going to a concert. But these sports figures and the performer don't have to still be with us. Who are the three people you're taking in the car to drive to see who and why? Oh, wow. That's, that's great. Um, wow. You, you, you caught me off guard. And, and this question is, is, is a great question and an important question. And I'll, I will answer it. Um, the three sports people who I would take 
is Jackie Robinson, Ted Williams, and I'm going to take Earl Monroe because he does love music and love jazz. And we're going to go to an Ella Fitzgerald concert. Uh, And I happen to know that Ted Williams was a big fan of Ella Fitzgerald. Big fan. So I think all three would appreciate Ella, or all four of us, because I would too. And I think that's who who I would take. Did you have any give and take with Ted Williams? I did. Absolutely. I I did. I have a great story about being with Ted. we were playing, if you have time, we, had, sure. we were up in Boston. We were up in Boston playing Boston for, on a Friday night, as as we often did. Um, and the autograph collectors, who I knew, because I helped them get autographs of, of, the, of the Knicks, told me that Ted Williams was in town. And he was staying at the Sheridan Prudential Center. We had stayed there one time. We had moved to the Marriott Copley, but we... Uh, so we're in Boston. So I went over to the to the Prudential Sheridan where he was staying, and uh, the bellman told me what room he was in. So I went up to the room. I slipped uh, a note under the door. I didn't get any response. I, I made a mistake. I slipped the, the note all the way under the door, so I couldn't tell if he got it or not. But then I got back to my hotel. I was waiting in front of the room while many other Hall of Famers were pacing back and forth and leaving their room and they were laughing at me because I'm just there, just waiting for Ted. And so I got back to the hotel and I called the Prudential and I asked for Ted Williams and they put me through to his room. And evidently he had read the note and he said, Mike, it's great, you know, thank you for being a fan. And he said, how did you get through to the phone? He said, even the Gestapo couldn't get through, he said. And uh, he said, come on up. I'd love to meet you. I said, Ted, I have a game tonight. I can't. He said, well, I'm going to be up in August. Again, I want you to come up and we'll have breakfast in my room. And sure enough, I did that. Went up. uh, And I had a lot of things to get autographed by him. But at that time, this was like, mid-80s, I brought my cassette player with cassettes of Ella Fitzgerald and, and Frank Sinatra, and I played that for him while he was signing autographs. But Ted was just unbelievable. He was he was the real-life John Wayne. All those big characters that John Wayne would play in the movies, that was really Ted in real life, and he, he was spectacular. What a great story. Because, you know, sometimes they say, yeah, We'll have a meeting later. I'll see you. That, you know, that never happens, and and you miss out on that opportunity. But you were able to have that that special breakfast with Ted he Williams, fo- and he followed up with a nice note to me. He sent me a note. I mean, he's you know a lot of people who are put up on pedestals. You know, people think uh, you know don't have a lot of these human qualities. But most of them are, are, are really terrific. And, and Ted was great to me. He really was. I saw pitches. William swings. There's a high drive going deep, deep. It is a home run against the tip of the right field fan. A tremendous home run that brought in three runs and turned what looked to be a National League whip into an American League 7-5 to five win. 
I know there were a lot of Knicks that were special to you, Bernard King, Bill Cartwright, Charles Oakley. I know you loved all of those players, and you mentioned your incredible relationship with, with Patrick Ewing. So when you think about all that has happened to you, we know that you have put your hands on some of the most valuable knees and shoulders and, and feet that have ever played sports. And that's got to be something that you need to share with us. What is the success? I know you're a fitness freak. Somebody like myself, a little bit overweight, I'll have to be honest with you, Mike. You run all the time. You talk about it. You train in the morning. What should we be doing to stay healthy? Because this world is not the healthiest world we live in. You know, we try to keep it simple. Do a little moving. I say every day is moving day. You got to walk a little bit. You don't have to run. You don't have to be a marathoner to achieve good health. Start walking. Maybe first day, 10 minutes. And do that for a week. And then maybe 12 to 15 minutes the next week. Uh, The key to that is consistency. If you do it on a consistent basis, your, your health and fitness will improve. Weight loss is not done in the gym. It takes place in the kitchen. You have to watch what foods you eat. Try to decrease your your sugar uh, intake. And that could be in in terms of soda, cookies, ice cream, candy, things like that. Um, And and try to put more uh, fruits and vegetables on your plate. If your plate is full of greens, vegetables and fruits of various types, then there's a good chance that your nutrition will improve. So that's, that's what you do. Keep it simple, um, little steps at a time, and little steps lead to, to big changes. And again, just be consistent with it. But I, I also tell people, sometimes we all fall off the wagon. And I use the description, I say, if you buy a dozen eggs and bring it home, And when you're taking the eggs out, you find one egg is broken. Do you throw the whole dozen away? No. You keep the other 11 eggs and you throw out the broken one. Well, same thing with our habits. If you break your habit one day, don't abandon the whole thing. Just try to the next day, just be a little better and try to be consistent. But understand everybody has days in their life when they go off the track a bit. It's those that get back on as quickly as possible. Those are the ones who see success. Great advice from someone who has collected 680 quotes in his new book, Life Sentence. It's a book that can really inspire people. And in fact, it's in the title, Life Sentence, a collection of quotes and stories to inspire, motivate, and empower. Yeah, he's worked with seven Hall of Fame coaches, as he mentioned, and many players. And when you have a personal relationship with people like Patrick Ewing and Larry Bird, you know what an impact you've made on the game. So I want to congratulate you on not only your amazing run with the Knicks and all those responsibilities that you had, but this new book. Was it uh, something you put together the collection? Do you think you might want to follow up with more quotes? I know in the book you said if you have a quote, send it to you. Why don't you uh, let us know where they people could send that quote? Yeah, um, I'll, I'll, I'll 
I, I'll plug my book as well, if you don't mind. This way, some of our listeners and, and viewers can purchase it if they want. It's $18, and that includes the postage and everything. And all those expenses are going up, I'll tell you that. That I know. Um, but for $18, they could do Venmo. Uh, that seems to be popular, especially with the younger uh, population. Venmo send $18 to Life Sentence Book. And just spell it out just like it sounds, Life Sentence Book. Uh, and if you do Venmo, make sure you leave your address. I've had a few people who didn't leave their address, and I had to try to find out where to send the book. Uh, you can send a check for $18 to Life Sentence, P.O. Box 480123. Delray Beach, Florida, 33448. And I'll repeat that for check. It's life sentence, P.O. Box 480123, Delray Beach, Florida, 33448. And again, for Venmo, it's life sentence book. Uh, yeah, and we'll see. I, I, there may be a life sentence, too, if there's a great demand for it. Uh, I certainly, I post, uh, I do post on Facebook a lot and I, I do quotes and sometimes I do include quotes that aren't in the book and uh, I may continue doing that, trying to expose people to, to more new quotes. You don't have to be a sports fan at all to enjoy Life Sentence because it has so many different people and many people that can impact your life. Mike Saunders has impacted a lot of lives and we want to thank you for joining us on Sports Jam, Mike. It's been fun. Oh, it's been a lot of fun for me, Doug. Thank you, and thank you for the invitation. Sports Jam is a WBGO Studios production. You can check out all my past shows by going to wbgo.org slash studios or wbgo.org slash sports jam. You can also find Sports Jam with Doug Doyle on the NPR list of podcasts or wherever you hear podcasts. Until our next Sports Jam session, I'll see you at the game.